Linda, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it today. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's great to be here. So thank you yeah. for having me. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am in my sort of early reaching towards my mid fifties and I have, um, well, I live in London and I was brought up here. So uh, I'm married to Richard, uh, who owns um, his own business with his brother, a design consultancy. Uh, in fact, I helped them both set the business up and work with them for a couple of years uh, when the business first started, about 11 years ago. Um, and we have two children, Ella, who's 25, married to Jacob. They live around the corner, which we never expected um, because she went off to uni in Bristol. Loved Bristol, didn't want to come back to London, but um, she has got married to Jacob and that's a lot of fun. And then our son, Alfred, who's 22, he's back home living with us. He graduated last year and uh, he's a junior architect. Our daughter works in mental health. So it's great. Um, we're really you know, grateful that we're all pretty close. Um, and uh, and I've just passed on the leadership of the church this January, which I've led for 26 years. So that's been an absolute joy. And um, I've always done that part time uh, in terms of church leadership. Um, I've always done other things, hence setting up business or I've been a school governor, um, trustee for different organizations. Um, so it's a real joy at the moment to be a bit freer locally from local responsibilities um although i'm still serving tom and the team here so that's a story in itself um yeah. but a real joy and um and then i'm involved with pioneer uh uk london um international as well and oversee the um network in australia so that's a little bit oh, about very me cool. very cool very cool so can you tell us a little, a little bit about your upbringing? Like, were you born in, uh, you know, were you raised in a Christian home? Was it was it something you were at church every Sunday or how was your upbringing? Yeah, um, no, I wasn't. Uh, I was brought up with uh, very good values, uh, Christian values. And so I think that's very much a generational, um, yeah, generational expectation. Um, my parents divorced when I was two. So in fact, I actually don't know my father, never met him. Okay. Uh, he passed away. Uh, actually, it was a couple of years after my mum passed away. And um, that's another story in itself. Um, but my mum, honestly, has been amazing. She brought myself and my two sisters up to so three girls. Not a, you know, not a, 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 well, quite a challenging task on your own, but she was amazing. Yeah. And we'd have family discussions every Sunday, how it felt uh, not to have a father. So my mum was very progressive. She was very forward thinking and um, provided a, a good atmosphere and an environment for dialogue and discussion, um, which I think was really important. So even though we were brought up with, you know, very clear um, sort of morals, Christian um, foundations, um, it wasn't until I was a student that I really fully committed my life to Christ, um, which again is a whole story in itself. Being brought up in a city with lots of different religions, um, a lot of my friends at school, you know, yeah, held different beliefs and views. So it was when I was a student, I was asking all the big questions, you know, if there is a religion, that's the religion, which one is it? Should it be? Could it be? So I looked into different religions and really Christianity was the last one 
I kind of looked into. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, again, that's sort of a whole story in itself. Uh, I remember the first time I went to a church, charismatic church, um, I hid in the toilets because I was so <laughs> petrified. <laughs> um, so, uh, what's the word? Uh, expressive. And I wasn't used yeah. to being in an environment whereby people would just go and hug you. You know, it was, I was freaked out. I just would hide yeah. in the toilets until the meeting started. And then I kind of slip out. And then I, just as things are <laughs> wrapping up, I go back into the toilets again and wait till things have calmed down and I come out again, which is hilarious now I look back. Um, so, you know, sometimes the things that I, I remind myself of that because we can become so immersed in terms of what is normal for us. Um, and then sometimes just reminding ourselves, actually, um, it might not look as all it might appear to when you're so used yeah. to it, just taking yourself out. Sometimes it's a good, a good and healthy discipline. So, um, yeah. So that's me. So I became a Christian when I was around about 18 years old. And, um, and it was amazing. It was a life changing event. And um, yeah, a lot changed. But it was also a gradual process. I was going to this church on and off. And this is really honestly so amazing that I found out after I became a Christian that there had been a group of people who didn't know me, but they knew my name. And they prayed for me every week by name that I would be bugged by the Holy Spirit. Wow, and I that's amazing. Was. Yeah, honestly incredible. I don't know these people, but what they prayed for happened and I couldn't wriggle mm -hmm. away from, I couldn't get away from God. There was like a kind of nagging. Um, so going to this church on and off for a period of time because one of my close school friends became a Christian and he was the most unlikely person to become a Christian. <laughs> so, so having seen him change so dramatically, I was curious as to yeah. what on earth happened. Why? Why had this happened? So I just went with a lot of questions and then it was in my bedroom on the 20th of December. It was before Christmas. I went to a big Christian, event, you know, Christmas Christian event and... Yeah at this church and I was too scared to go and respond um but I took a little tract home and I prayed that prayer on my own at home and then the rest is history um had wow. an incredible encounter with God and Very uh, cool. yeah. yeah yeah and then it, a lot of my friends started Christians so that again was amazing and we were filled with the Holy Spirit before we knew what it was so again it's a, a very very real encounter with God which which changed a lot yeah, it's it's very cool to see what um, a few people praying can do mm -hmm. to um, change a a life, uh, a town, a city. Um, mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times we take that for granted. You know, if we, someone mm -hmm. gave your name yeah. and said, "Hey, let's let's find this person. Let's pray for this person to yeah. you know Absolutely. for the Holy Spirit just to keep." you know, tapping Absolutely. on their shoulder until they, they, they respond. So, yeah, that's very cool yeah. to see that. So yeah. um, you were talking about how, and I find this very, um, very similar in the U.S., especially with the older generation, like World War II generation. Um, mm -hmm. They have a lot of good Christian morals, but they yep. may not be Christian. Like it was yes. just because they were either raised by a very, they, mm -hmm. you know, their parents may have been Christian, um, yep. But I find that this, um, the World War II generation is one of the last generations that really can carry those morals um, mm. without being Christian. And yes. I I'm seeing it like, you know, 
boomers, they do, some of them carry it, but I think a majority of them, um, they, and uh, I, I would say they don't because it was oh. the, it was that, you know, the sixties, the seventies and the whole revolution that, you know, oh. sexual revolution, oh. the love revolution of the sixties the and seventies. Yeah. But like, you know, uh, growing up, I had grandparents and some of them weren't Christian, but they held very strict moral value. Like yes. you didn't do this. This was not a proper thing to do. Like they knew they didn't go to church, but they knew Sunday you didn't, it was a day of rest for them. It was a day of rest. It was just kind of ingrained in their culture for that. And mm -hmm. I, I see, and, and that's the one thing our, our, our world is starting to, to lack more is that natural yes. ingrained reverence mm -hmm. for things that are holy and things that are, are, are biblical. Um, yes. and it's just, it, it, but it's so cool to see that, um, even though, you know, you were raised in a non-Christian home, they still had the, some of the values that were passed mm -hmm. on to you because they understood those values because they were ingrained mm -hmm. for generations before that. And yeah, I, I, I see like, um, for me, you know, my parents are boomers. They're, you know, in their late sixties now and, mm -hmm. um, you know, raised in a Christian home, but I'm seeing, um, a lot of, you know, I'm, you know, kind of end of Gen X, a lot of Gen Xers who just don't have that moral mm -hmm. um, compass anymore. And it's just kind of a, a, a free for all of what happens. And it's, um, mm -hmm. it's a testament to uh, the older generation, your parents, my grandparents, that they just had good moral backbone, whether they were Christian or not. And they just learned that to, they almost learned the, they almost lived out the golden rule without following Christ, you know, just do yeah. unto others as you would do to them. Um, have done yep. to you. Um, so it's really cool to see that in that generation, just they mm -hmm. had something that was just so, mm -hmm. so firm in their foundation of who just as a good person. Um, yep. Once you add Christ to that, it's just even better mm -hmm. because they knew that you had to be a good person. But when mm -hmm. you get them saved, it, it changed everything. And then the, the love of Christ came in and different things like that. So it was really cool to see um, like, you know, a lot of my grandparents got saved later in life, you know, in their 60s, 70s. And, and so mm -hmm. it was good to, it was cool to see that how it changed them. They had good moral values, but see how yep. Christ came in and changed their life. Um, but it's a, it's a um, testament to your mother. You know, she, single mom mm -hmm. raising three girls and mm -hmm. giving you good moral foundations. Mm -hmm. um, even though it wasn't in church, it was still a good moral foundation. Uh, it mm -hmm. probably made it easier for you to come into Christianity, even though, because it, it, your values were lining up with some of the values of Christianity already of how to be kind to people, how to treat people, um, yeah. and just a moral compass. And, and that's really cool to see. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a very positive outlook, actually. I think, um, it probably helpfully balances maybe some of what I felt at the time, because I, I remember thinking I hadn't been properly told about Jesus and who Jesus is, who he was. And that I think was a little, not, not an obstacle, but I think I was quite cross. I was like, well, why hasn't anybody told me this? I know so much <laughs> about the, the values yeah. and the morals, but why hasn't somebody told me this? Um, but you're absolutely right. I think it's a really healthy perspective um you know there is a lot to be thankful for really 
And in fact, my mum became a Christian a few years after I did, although she probably would have said that she was a Christian. But I think a fresh commitment to Christ and yeah. he was baptised at a church weekend away we had. So that was amazing um, to see that. So you're right. When certain, when there's an alignment of certain uh, truths that really resonate in a real way, in the everyday, in the ordinary, it's actually incredibly impactful. So, uh, so in fact, when my mum passed away, um, this might sound a bit peculiar, but in fact, the year before she died, um, I felt because she was young; she was younger than me when she passed away. So, oh wow! Um, so I, I, I took note, and this again has been a lesson to me throughout life. Anything that you feel prompted by, by the Holy Spirit, however small or insignificant, take note of it. And I just felt God speak to me about my mum's um, specifically that she would die sooner rather than later. Those are the words I had. Uh, now, she wasn't in particularly ill health. Um, and I thought mm, sooner than later, maybe another 10, 10 years, 15 years, you know, maybe in her 60s. Um, so... So I only told a couple of friends, not many people. That's not the sort of thing you particularly want to share widely. Um, And literally the weekend, she died on the Monday morning. uh, That particular weekend, her health was a bit tricky. I remember speaking to her um, about seeing a doctor. and, uh, And I was very concerned over the weekend, but I had no idea at all she was about to die no idea so we told friends that that weekend who were staying with us with myself my husband Richard so when she passed away it was like a complete and utter shock but amazingly Matt I I took time during that year to ask my mum all sorts of questions that I hadn't done before including about her funeral what did she want what flowers did she want what hymns or worship songs did she want um I asked her questions about my my father it was always a tricky kind of subject and I never wanted to cause sort of pain really um about that with my mum um but again there's a beautiful story there because basically my father had an affair with one of my aunts and it caused a massive rift within the family but short story is very very short story um I reconnected with that aunt in the last sort of five years when my uncle died, one of my uncles died. In fact, I took Mm. his funeral and we ended up spending time together. And there's an incredible story of reconciliation with her, which was really extraordinary. Um, So God has been so, so good. Um, Yeah, so I I guess it's a reminder when the Holy Spirit prompts us with something, however insignificant or small, that just taught me a lesson. I'm so glad I did not ignore that because that's kind yeah. of one of the weird kind of like that, that's that's quite out there. Um, but I didn't regret taking that seriously. Um, yeah. So a reminder, really, um, and a good challenge. So, yeah, so it was amazing to know that, um, you know, she passed away. Um, and, it, yeah, just was welcomed by Jesus, you know, that for me was just amazing and to know that. And that brought a lot of comfort when I talked with my sisters, who again, I think would have said that they they believe. I've got one sister who's been on at least two, if not three alpha courses, and has always got okay. kind of stuck on the kind of real kind of commitment, you know, so she'll say, look, I do believe, um, but there's still, you know, maybe something holding her back from yeah. really fully enjoying what she could enjoy. 
yeah. Anyway, bit of a tangent there, but there we go. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's really cool. <laughs> you were talking about that, just the story about reconnecting with your mom that weekend before she passed, you know, like the, the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Just, I think sometimes we, we don't realize the nudges and the taps and the, and the little yep. pushes that, that he does gentle pushes yep. that he does to, to do that. I mean, you know, mm. my wife in the last 30, 40 days, you know, um, she went to her dad, you know, before he passed a couple of weeks before he passed and just said, Hey, you know, um, and she had talked to him about a year before that, maybe something like that. And he said, I just, you know, I believe in Christ and I, I, I love Christ. I just don't know if I'm ready to give my life to Christ. Yeah. Like yeah. He, he went to, he was Catholic, born, raised Catholic, same church, you know, like his parents went to the church. He went to the church his entire life. We were married in the, in that church. I mean, it's, it's like the funeral was at the church. I mean, he, he lived his entire 80, almost 80 years at that church. He never went anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And he was raised Catholic and a lot of the things so sarah would go up to him my wife would go up to him and say would talk to him and he you know she's like i knew my dad wasn't a good man but she goes mm -hmm. he still needed the opportunity to have access to christ jesus and to have access mm -hmm. to eternal life and so she just went to him she goes are, are you want are you ready to and about a year ago year and a half ago he said i don't know if i can just i don't know if i can commit myself to surrender myself to him um mm -hmm. And, you know, and I think that can be hard for a lot of people. It pain, you know, hurt in their lives and things like that. But, you know, about five, well, six, seven weeks ago, um, she went to him and she said, is this hard for you to talk with your kids? Because they had a very rocky relationship, the entire family. And mm -hmm. he said, yeah, it is. She goes, well, can I send my friend John over? And John is our next door neighbor. I mean, I'm literally looking out the window. I can see his house and they're, they're our some of our best friends. And he goes, yeah, I'll, I'll talk to John. So John went over and he sat with him for about 30 minutes, led him to Christ and did something that my wife probably would have, would have not been able to do just because of, of the circumstances and the, the issues of life that, um, that sometimes can hinder what people are doing. Um, or how they receive from you. Mm. Um, sorry, I just had to plug my PC and I forgot to, I unplugged it real quick when I was doing something. It just flashed 10% there. Um, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> um, but, you know, we every person deserves to hear the good news of the yeah. gospel. That's every fine. person deserves to hear that. And, and it says in the scripture that, you know, God wants that none may perish, that all will hear and come to reconciliation of, of pray to Christ Jesus. That's what we're called to do. And, mm. you know, sometimes we can't administer, help administer reconciliation, but we know somebody who can. And yes, right. I think that giving, um, being sensitive to the Holy spirit, allowing him to, to lead you and guide you and tell you, Hey, you pro you probably mm. need to go do this. It mm. will help us, you know, to become more sensitive to hearing what the Holy Spirit's saying, you know, it helps um, be able to know when the timing is right, when the prompting is right. Cause she could have yeah. gone there and said, Hey, you know, Oh, you don't, you can't receive from me. Okay. Well, and then move on. But she knew God gave her the, the proper wisdom and the right wisdom at that time to, to yeah. send a friend over to deal with yeah. that situation that needed to be dealt with because, you know, four or five weeks later he was gone and, you know, that is what we're all, I think we're all called to do is, 
in those last days, those last moments of people's lives, go to them and ask those hard questions. And I, you know, I, for me, that's hard to, to do sometimes. You, you just like, especially if you don't know that person, you don't know mm -hmm. a person very well, you have to ask those hard questions. That can be a tough thing, but I, I think God has called everyone to, to ask those hard questions. And, mm -hmm. and to be sensitive to know when we need to go ask those hard questions. Because you mm -hmm. asked, you probably had some deep conversations with your mom mm -hmm. when you had that conversation. That, that some dragged up some things and, and settled some things and different things like that. Mm -hmm. But you got to spend that time and kind of sort out some things for the family. Mm -hmm. And I think that is such a huge thing that a lot of people don't ever get. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they get, absolutely. They don't get that. They don't get that that resolution towards the end, or at least uh, an understanding of what happened. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's interesting, Matt, because I think that I'm sure you found this, um, just experience and, and experiencing different losses with different family members and different people. Um, there is something very spiritual about the end of someone's life. And yeah. I don't understand it. I can't even describe to you a full theology about it because it isn't clear in in scripture we have sort of glimpses but we none of us really knows and yet time and time again towards the end of someone's life it, it happened this year um richard his mum passed away my mother-in-law and because my mum died so young so before the children were born i've had a particularly close relationship with both my mother and father-in-law wow, so um so i'm again i'm just really thankful to god for that um, and, uh, again, in brief, my mother-in-law had cancer. Um, she, it was literally, to, yeah, I guess the, the last few days, um, where she seemed to have lost sort of consciousness. Um, and, uh, we just, again, responded to one of those promptings. We, we must go and take the children to go and say goodbye. And extraordinarily, the night before she died, you know, she died on a Thursday morning, it was a Wednesday night, um, there was one window when both our children were available. And uh, we just had no problems getting into the home where she was. It was extraordinary. And and our daughter has spent quite a bit of time with our mother-in-law in the sort of the end sort of months. Um, our son less so because of his work. Um, and it was just God was so kind because we all got an opportunity and they got an opportunity to say goodbye. And none of us will ever forget it. You know, we ended up all linking arms, prayed, read some scripture, cried, said goodbye, um, and very much released yeah. you know, Pat, Pat to God. And God is just so kind. And I find that time and time again, I'm, you know, my, my role as, as church leader, minister over the years, the amount of people I've felt prompted, I must go and see them. Then I've, you know, understood, oh gosh, they die 20 minutes later. You know, I mean, it's extraordinary. Yeah. So again, it's paying attention to those nudges. And, and it just reminds me again and again, how kind God is, how good God is. Because um, yeah. none of us deserves that. He's just kind. He's just, you know, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I think he just gives you those moments, um, you know, you, whether you realize that it's that last moment or not, he just gives you those moments and he just kind of yeah. seals things sometimes without us even realizing it. You know, mm -hmm. he just places, uh, you know, 
and just kind of finalizes the things, whether we realize they're finalized or not. And then when we're done down the, down the road, we look back yeah. and we're like, oh my gosh, he was finalizing that for us. He was finalizing mm -hmm. those, that relationship and, and sealing that, you know, mm -hmm. that, that yeah. end of life relationship with him. And that's just really cool to, to see that sometimes no matter, you know, we get the prompting, but we don't realize what's happening during that prompting. We, you know, we kind of can sense it, but we don't r realize the value of it in, in the, until the, the future. And we look back and say, oh my gosh, that was just, that was amazing. The time that we were able to spend together, or, you know, we were able to all get there and to spend time with, you know, your mother-in-law, different things like that. So that's, that's really cool. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. So you in the last what is it just has it been about a year since you transitioned out of um, full time yeah, leadership? Yeah, well, a bit less than that. So, so January this year was the kind of marked moment of passing on the baton of leadership uh, to Tom. So we've been working it through for a while, yeah. um, and it's something that I've I've wanted to do for a while. Um, but sometimes, you know, it isn't a career, is it? We we have to be open to when when God leads us and when yeah. when the time is is right. I've always said I will lead the church for how, however long or short God wants me to. Every year without fail, every new year, I'd ask of the Lord, do you want me to go again this year? So I've never wanted to be stuck because um, I've seen that happen. Leaders just get stuck i've never wanted to be a stuck leader yeah. always wanted to be you know moving responsive nimble um so actually it's just been a real joy um when it would have been 18 months ago tom felt ready to, to take on the you know his next step yeah. so we journeyed through that all of last year and then prayed this january um, and I'm just so, again, grateful to God to be released. My, so my head is released on the local. Um, so as I've given myself to other areas of ministry, both in the UK, London, UK and Australia. Um, so linking up with Billy in the, the international work. Um, and also I'm, I'm a, an accredited mediator. So, but, you know, I said I've always enjoyed doing things outside of church leadership. So I've always mm -hmm. been bivocational, always done something else. And for me, I think that's been my lifeline. Um, I, I fully respect everyone who gives themselves, you know, 100 percent all of their time to the, to the church. I think they're extraordinary. Um, I'm just not wired that way. And uh, yeah. I, I, I've always needed different aspects of outlets um and that i think i've always really enjoyed so it's been purposeful i've always had a, a mixed portfolio and i do enjoy taking something on maybe sometimes in a bit of a crisis and then kind of breaking yeah. through um and then passing on um and that's not out of a lack of commitment because i'm fully committed and give myself 110 yeah. percent and i know sometimes it's easy for me to stay in some situations just too long. It's like, I know when the grace of God is lifting and I felt with local leadership yeah. as a senior leader, you know, I felt the, that grace starting to lift and a grace for other areas of ministry were increasing. So I felt like I don't want to lose the moment where I felt that grace lift. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, 
we embarked on a whole process. And it's an absolute joy. I'm, I'm loving it. I'm loving That's supporting cool. Tom. And, and what's interesting, Matt, is that um, my husband reminded me of what how I felt when I took on the church 26 years ago. And I'd forgotten because it was so long ago. And, uh, and he said to me, do you remember how you felt? I was like, oh, I'm not sure I do. And in fact, the person who passed on leadership to me um, was someone called Patrick, Patrick Dixon, who's a, you know, an author, broadcaster, he's a global um, futurologist. Um, he, at the time, was heading up an aid charity. In fact, I worked there for, for a year in their education um, uh, sort of department. And, um, and because he was so focused on other things, he literally had he just disappeared so I'd forgotten that I'd felt oh great thank you you kind of left me to it you know you're not there anymore and, and I'd forgotten that so when in my head I was thinking pass on the leadership of the church and then I'm on to the next things yeah and so my Richard reminded me of that it kind of modified my thinking I thought ah okay that's interesting so I asked Tom what do you want of me and we then had like a back and forth because I think he wanted more of me than I anticipated. So I wasn't <laughs> expecting him <laughs> to want so much of me. So it's like, oh, okay, I wasn't expecting that. So literally we were then back and forth and we worked it through with the team and Billy supported us as well um, very much. So um, to work out, you know, our, our change of roles. Yeah. So my role is very defined and I'm looking to decrease my input. So it, it will kind of, you know, step down. It already has, it will increase, uh, well, or decrease rather. Um, but it's very specific. It's very uh, focused. One yeah. area I'm focusing on is releasing other women onto the leadership team. So I'm mentoring awesome. a number of women. And to be honest, as soon as they're really ingrained in the team, I'm off, you know. I think it's yeah. important that, you know, yeah. I want to transition things well, um, and then and then get out of the way. So it's a joy. It's an absolute joy. I think the first couple of months, Matt, it was a little bit bumpy, um, which is to be expected, having led for so long. So so yeah. for me, the sensation of not chairing a meeting, particularly um, but this particular group um, as a group of men who are really good friends of mine, but it felt very different being part of the team and not chairing it. And I realized I found it really difficult to, you know, where I would like guide the conversation and then bring my perspective. Yeah. It just felt totally different. And it was like, oh my gosh, I've got to kind of almost push my way in. So just even when, <laughs> when we worked that out, Tom and Jacob, I mean, brilliant at kind of pausing and then saying, Linda, do you have, you know, they're very sensitive to that now. So I think after the first few months, which of course were going to be massively, you know, changeful for both myself and Tom, yeah. um, we got into a rhythm and it worked That's really cool. well. And, and in the nicest possible of ways, I'm really enjoying not being responsible. <laughs> I'm, really, <laughs> I'm really enjoying it. Absolutely love yeah. it. I, obviously, I held that role for so long. I also merged two churches um, back in 2007. Oh, so okay. just a, a huge amount, you know, over the years. So it's a real joy to support and release Tom and the younger leaders. Um, it's, a, it's a real joy. So, yeah, I'm enjoying yeah. that at the moment. So you were there, what, 26 years, you said? Yes. Yeah. 
And we so, church planted. Oh, wow. Wow. So, so we were part of the uh, church team. Oh, wow. So that was, you've got roots down deep there then. Yeah. 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 So we're talking 30 years. And before that, I was part of the planting church for maybe about four years. So we were talking a lot, a lot of years. And, yeah. um, but again, I think what's really important because succession will try, um, yeah, succession planning has to be the most normal, the normal expectation in the world of all forms of leadership. Yeah, it does. You know, but it is talked about a huge amount. I, I, I try no. to get hold of every book I possibly could, looked at examples where it didn't go so well. What could we learn? What could we do well? And and it's inevitable. Every leader will will pass on at some point. And I just yeah. love the fact that because we believe in servant leadership um, and within the church itself, there are lots of previous leaders um, you know, my husband was part of the team for ages. He's now an advisor. So, and I could multiply that up with other other leaders in the church. So I think we have a good culture whereby leadership is not positional. It isn't hierarchical. It's a serving role. We recognize the authority of leadership. So for instance, recently we've had our Vision Sunday, which I would have led last year, but drew Tom in. Tom asked me to uh, teach um, about our theology of our vision. And then I brought him in, interviewed him and Jacob. Literally then I just sat down and got out of the way and let them sort of share vision and some of the, the practical outworking of that. Um, but I said to the church, I said, it feels different. I said, I know I'm not carrying the same weight, which now Tom is. Just acknowledging that and acknowledging um, the weight he's carrying and and the call to pray for our leaders. So that's a real joy, Matt, being there to support, to encourage. Um, you know, we want Tom and the team to go farther, wider, you know, than I ever could do. So yeah. to, to be there to really champion and release and encourage um, is an absolute joy. Yeah, I I, I like what you said about succession because I, I don't know what it's like over there, but in the U.S. here, secession is of I mean, the, we have pastors that are eighty years old in the pulpit and they don't do it. They don't they do it until the day they die, and then the church falls apart. And yeah, what do they do after that? Yeah, yeah, and Absolutely. I think I think having a proper secession for, um, you know, it, it kind of comes, to, it kind of goes to that mindset of being the parent and then moving to the grandparent mentality. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, you, you're not responsible for the kids. You just spoil them every now and then, and then send them back home to mom and dad. Absolutely. <laughs> and so, um, one, one thing I did find about secession um, you know, I'm in my forties right now, so I don't know what that's going to look like when I, you know, mm -hmm. whenever that's ha happening. But one leader that I did find that did a very good job was Jimmy Evans of, uh, I think it's, Tr uh, Trinity church in Texas. Um, okay. he runs uh, a marriage, um, website and him and his wife have been doing this for years. He actually did a really good job of being a leader in his church and then moving his next leader in in such a way that it was just very smooth without yeah. having 
Um, I think what happens is people lose confidence. Like, oh, so many news coming in. Well, I can't go. I got to find somebody else. I only liked, we become so dependent on the pastor. That, yeah. that whole pastor mentality, we become so dependent upon the main person in the, in the, at the pulpit mm-hmm. on stage mm-hmm. that we forget that that's not the reason we're there. The reason we're there is for Christ and for the other believers. And yeah. so he did a very good job of moving himself out mm-hmm. in a way that um, made the other leaders coming in look so well. Um, mm-hmm. I was, I just kind of was listening to one of his podcasts that he was talking about that. And it was really surprising that, you know, he's probably in his seventies now, but he actually stepped down at a, at a right time and moved mm-hmm. it to the next leader. That was a couple, you know, probably 10, 15 years younger than him to be yeah. able to, to lead that next generation of the church, that next uh, stage of the church. But, um, yeah, that, that's a, that's a huge thing to, I think every believer, uh, every Christian needs to learn how to do that in ministry, uh, whether you're a children's minister, youth minister, you know, leader of head, you know, leading the church, whatever. I think you need to be able to learn how to secede to the next generation, the next level of that next level of leadership that's coming in. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, um, again, knowing when the Holy Spirit prompts that. It's again, going back to the listening of the promptings of the spirit. So I really felt a grace lift. And, um, and as I said, I said, you know, said to God, I'll do this as long or as short as you want me to. This isn't a career path. Um, You know, I'm I'm serving you. How can I best serve you? And, um, and actually to see Tom and the younger leaders, um with the fresh vision and it's just great you know i'm really enjoying it and uh, and i know that there are other things that i can give myself to which i must be faithful and give myself to those things where i can see the grace of god increasing and um i think for all of us that sense of movement being aware of the timing not disregarding some of those promptings however scary it feels. I think it's probably difficult if someone's sole income is dependent on their role. Yeah. And that I think is tricky. Um, Still not a reason not to take those steps of faith, but I think that obviously can be more tricky, which is why I guess a lot of people end up stuck. So when I talked about being stuck, that's very much the picture I've I've had. Like I never want to be stuck. I never want to be so dependent on that I'm doing it because actually I ha- I have to do it, but actually being yeah. aware of that, and and that's why again I I think I really do appreciate and have faith for different income streams. You know I've always done yeah. different areas of work and having a mixed portfolio, and um, and that's my faith journey. As I said, everyone's different. There's not a right or wrong. That's just my yeah. faith journey. And um, yeah. no, I I like what you said about multiple streams. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, Sarah came to me. She goes, God's telling me we need to have multiple streams of income. Mm-hmm. And we're both part-time. Like she takes a small salary for doing yeah. the administration for our church. I work full-time outside of the church. I have yeah. like two different ways of trying to, mm-hmm. to make money, you know, um, you know, web design on the side. She does cottage cleaning on the side, but it was like, you know, in, in our culture, sometimes we get this mentality that, 
we should just be paid because we're the pastor. And it's like, mm -hmm. but for us, we knew that this wasn't a job. This was a calling. And Absolutely. if, if we said, oh, well, yeah, we need this amount per year. You know, I told my wife, I said, you doing a part-time for the church, doing the administration and all that stuff. I said, it allows our church to not be financially strapped or taxed mm -hmm. so we can help the community. We can do outreach. We can do, you know, backpack giveaways. We can do, you know, events for the community, give to our school, give to our local, whatever it is. And I said, I don't ever want to have the church to be so strapped for money because we need a salary or I feel like I need a certain amount of money. I said, we have, we're able-bodied. We have minds that are functional. We can go out and find ways to make money without having to pull from the church. And we can, we can be not dependent upon the church for our income. And I think, um, that, is, that that's been a huge thing for us because it's been financially freeing for us um, to not have to worry about, you know, is the, there enough tithe coming in? Is there enough this? Do we, do we have enough to pay the bills? Do we have enough? And then it's like uh, the salary, I think it is almost should be something that's the last part of, of what the church is thinking about. The church should be thinking about what, where are the outreaches? Where are we helping the, the, the homeless, the, 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 you know, underprivileged, the, the people that need our help first. And for us, it's like, why tax the church? Why make it so financially struggling for us to take a salary from them? Let's just, we, we've worked before we started this. Let's continue to work while we start this because, or while we do this, because we can do it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's, that was a huge thing for us is like, I just don't want to have to worry about finances in the church. You know, we've never had to worry about finances because we chose not to take a pastor salary or whatever you want to call it as as leaders. We just we go to our nine to five jobs and we work and we and we give back to the church and we and we don't make it so where the church is financially struggling to to keep its, you know, the lights on, the doors open, whatever you want to call it, and just make it easy for the church to 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 move forward. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, I think I I can identify with that mindset because I think culturally that's been very much our experience over decades. And so when any of us do receive any income from the church, we're really grateful and thankful yeah. because it can release resource. So tomorrow I'm running um, a West London Leaders Gathering. Um, that's one of the areas where Tom and the team specifically wanted some of my time to be invested. It's a um, a unity um, sort of movement, unity gathering. Uh, we'll have about 50 leaders tomorrow coming together. We're looking at mental health. How can we look mm -hmm. at a coordinated approach across our borough? It's one of the largest London boroughs of 336,000 people. How can we um, access different resources? So, so I'm really thankful for where there is a release, but let that not be a noose around the church's neck, which is why yeah. the approach it's being nimble, I think is really important. Um, all of us have always been part-time. So uh, yeah. in terms of our released time and, and again, I like that. And in fact, I think the church does really well. Um, 
<laughs> so I think that's a, a real release. Um, I'm, I'm aware to you where, um, you know, there could be some context where maybe uh, progress can be a bit slower, but that's okay because when we're immersed in the communities, it, it is that day-to-day living experience, isn't it, of being yeah. engaged in neighbourhoods, which is what Jesus did. And, uh, you know, the fact that Jesus was a, you know, he did his tent making and then obviously the last three years of his life were hugely impactful um, globally forever. Um, but I love that, Matt. I think that that approach of being nimble. And again, it's been responsive, isn't it, to the to the call of the Holy Spirit? Because yeah. I've always said, this is what I have faith and vision for. If Tom wanted to do things differently, then I certainly wouldn't want to stop him. If he felt actually yeah. I would want to, you know, he would want to move into like a full-time salary. Um, let's, you know, let's look at that. But actually, like attracts like. So he runs his own business in the West End. Um, and I think we all enjoy doing things outside of the church yeah. in our communities. Yeah. It's healthy, honestly. I, I'm just yeah. not one of those people who could be immersed in the Christian world. I just, just couldn't. Um, but as I said, I respect those who, who can do that, but it's just not yeah. my calling. It's knowing, isn't it? How you're wired. Yeah. yeah. That, that's the thing is like, I love leadership. I love, you know, being at the church, doing the, the things of church, but I also like to just sit down at my computer, open it up and design something, create yeah. something, you know, just let be creative about yeah. it, you know, and that's just who I am. I, I, I don't know if I could ever be, um, like you said, immersed in it full time, like sitting in an office, yeah. you know, having office hours, waiting for, you know, yeah. having me, I hate meetings. I'm like, if you can't solve a me- something in about five minutes, we, we need to move on and we need to figure out something. You know, I don't know if I could be in, you know, those yeah. three hour meetings, those planning meetings. I'm just like, ah, I don't know. I, that, yeah. For me, that's not, yeah. that's not who I am. I like to, I'm kind of like that person likes to be able to, to turn on a dime is what we say. And just be able to be nimble and just turn and say, okay, this is what we're going to do now. We're going to do this yeah. next and just do that. So, um, probably a little bit to my wife's agony of me not liking, liking meetings. Cause she runs most of the, the organizational meetings. And I'm just like, Oh, more meetings. <laughs> and she's just like, we have to have them. I'm like, yes, I know we have to have them, but I'm like, these are like my worst nightmare is organizational yeah. meetings. So, um, yeah. but yeah, it's just, um, I, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about this is I see a lot of young leaders and they, 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 um, when they're, you know, in the twenties, they want to be that, that pastor, they want that position. They want that, um, that full-time ministry position because it seems like it's going to be cool. Mm. And it seems like it's going to be this just fun, you know, thing. And ministry always isn't fun. Um, Mm. what, what kind of advice would you give to like young leaders, like the young leaders in their, you know, late teens, twenties and early thirties? Hmm. I think my encouragement would always be um, explore life opportunities, learning experiences outside of the church as well as inside the church, that um, the the fuller experience and often training ground happens when, you know, someone's they're, cut, they're cutting their teeth into their first proper job. 
Yeah. <laughs> and and I think nothing nothing beats those experiences. And you can take all of that into a church setting. But I think the church will benefit from more rounded individuals, especially when part of our role is to train and equip and release, you know, the the, the saints. If there's not yeah. an understanding as to what it's like, then um, there's a complete disconnect. So I just think creating opportunities to be grounded um is really, really essential. We don't want to discourage the enthusiasm for church, but I think developing that, broadening that experience is really healthy. Also having experiences in other nations, and yeah. again, is enriching. And yeah. depending on someone's experience, um, we've had people um, who've gone off to, you know, some really poor nations in comparison to, you know, affluent even though there are parts you know which are really really poor in in london but then we've had to make sure that then they decompress and they can process that when they reintegrate back into sort of yeah london life yeah so again those are really enriching our daughter did a ywam in australia because we've got a lot of links and friends in australia and she worked in papua new guinea in india I mean, just really tremendous. That's before she went into a job um, working with the most vulnerable in in terms of mental health within our, our borough. Which, yeah. You know, those experiences, I think, are just so enriching, aren't they? Encouraging our, our younger leaders to, to, to keep broad, um, to keep yeah. serving, to keep serving, to keep an attitude of, of serving, looking at ways to bless others, to, um, yeah, to be grounded, I think is absolutely essential. And that's always what we look for yeah. in terms of leaders and leadership, isn't it? We look for those Timothy qualities. It's not just yeah. about the skills or the preaching opportunities or doing things up front. Actually, it's someone who really serves, someone who who identifies with people, who can express kindness, who can be hospitable. I'm a great yeah. believer that hospitality is not the size of your home. Um, when we were having our building work done here years ago, um, we had I mean, we had the back and the side of the house taken off and we literally were living in a front room, the bedrooms upstairs. And one of the bedrooms we turned into like a makeshift kitchen stroke dining room. I mean, it was tiny. It was like crazy. We did, you know, washing up in the bath. And yeah. um, when and our kids were small and I remember we brought, you know, we'd have our children's friends back for tea. I remember some parents like being astonished that we would have people back. And at the time I said, look, hospitality is not the size of your home. Yeah. It's actually the size of your heart. If you've got a, a heart's desire to bless others, to be hospitable, to be kind, to reach out to people, it doesn't matter. You can do it creatively. So yeah. I think that would be my encouragement, Matt. I'm sure you identify with that. And um, so I think there's a lot of things that you've expressed that, uh, that resonate. So I definitely would yeah, encourage a groundedness. Yeah, that's that's the that's a, a really good piece of advice. I, I always tell, like we some of our younger leaders in our church, I always say, you know, you see us up there, my, myself, my wife up there preaching on a Sunday. I said, it's not as easy as it looks sometimes, and yeah. and sometimes it's not easy for us. Um, yeah. And we've had a few of them up there, and they'll preach and they get down and they're like, 
oh my gosh, I, it I was terrified. I was, I was, uh, how do you guys do this every week? And we're like, it's just, we've done it for so long that yeah. this is what we do. You know, we've just yeah. gotten used to it. We've, we've become accustomed to it. And so yeah. it's just, you know, to help them learn, Hey, this isn't just getting up there and, and reading off a piece of paper. This isn't getting up there and reading off your iPad or whatever. It's just mm -hmm. cool to see them get up there. And that little bit of struggle they had yeah. reminds them of, of the work it's going to take and the, the, the leading it's going to take of the Holy spirit to be able to get back up there and to, mm -hmm. um, just for them to grow. It's, it's a growing experience for them. Um, yeah. so that's, it's really cool to just see, I love to see young leaders try, fail, learn, mm -hmm. re, re, retry and different things like that. And, you know, yeah. there's nothing wrong with failing. It's, it's the not trying part. Absolutely. It's the not, it's not getting up there, not giving that prophetic word, not giving that word of encouragement, not, yeah. you know, telling, saying what God is telling you to say, mm -hmm. you know, you're going to fail every time if you don't do it, yeah. but just get up there and be confident in what God has told you. Mm -hmm. And if God gives you a word, then speak that word. And I said, it's just going to be, it's going to, the more you are able to hear from the Holy spirit and the more you obey the Holy spirit, the easier it's going to be for you to get up there and to speak and to prophesy to yeah. and do whatever God has called you to do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. That's really good, Matt. So uh, can you tell us a little bit, um, you've been in ministry for 20, what, 26 years now? Well, 30, 30 plus. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, 30. Yeah. yeah so I left the church for 26. Oh, yeah, 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 sorry. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all right. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about your history with Pioneer? Yeah, would love to. Um, so when I became a Christian, um, I reached out to an old school friend, <clears throat> um, sorry, school teacher. It was a school friend who, who was really pivotal in my journey. And then I reached out to a school teacher who I knew was a Christian. In fact, um, I, <laughs> I had a whole list of people to apologize to. Um, he was one of them because at school, I'd given him such a hard time <laughs> when <laughs> he ran some apologetic sessions and I was really, yeah, I really gave him a hard time. So anyway, I apologize to him and we're still friends to this day, which is great. Um, so very grateful to God for him, Jeff Lumley. And, uh, and I asked him, I said, look, I'm, I've gone to a few churches. I don't connect with any of them. Could you direct me to somewhere? So he connected me with Patrick Dixon, who eventually, in fact, I lived with him and his wife and children. And then Richard and I, there was a community house, so we lived there with some other friends and eventually Richard had to move out. We got married anyway, so we were they're, they're a very sort of important family to us. Um but I didn't know that at the time. So Jeff, my old school teacher, gave me Patrick's number, who was a leader in a pioneer church. So I called him up and uh and I just said, Look, um I'm looking for a church. There are lots of us who are becoming Christians. What is your church like? Now, Patrick, he's <laughs> such a such a, an eccentric character, an amazing character. I mean, he is an incredible man of God who has, as I said, done things worldwide. He's incredible. Um, but this obviously excited him. I remember I had the phone to my ear 
and I was talking and as soon as I said, you know, lots of us become Christians, what's your church like? <clears throat> he lit, I had to hold the phone away because he was so loud. <laughs> he was like, great, great, super, super, this is amazing. So um, anyway, I just remember thinking, who on earth is this guy? I think I need to go and check the church out on my own. So at the time I was an art student and um, I wasn't particularly in the habit of going to church on a Sunday morning. Um, but this particular Sunday, uh, I, I woken up late. I was even in two minds, should I go? And I thought, oh, I will go because I need to check it out to see what it's like. So I walked into the church, didn't know anybody, never met anyone before. I kind of slipped in at the back of the church um, and and I had no idea who this strange man was walking around the periphery of the meeting. He had these drumsticks. He was like tapping them in his hands. <laughs> oh, I've come to a really crazy place. Um, bearing in mind I was a student. And at the time, I thought everybody was ancient. I now realize they were only in their 30s. But at, when, at that time, I thought they were so old. And I was really thinking, where on earth have I come to? This is like a crazy place. So I remember standing at the back and then this this chap who was walking around the edge started calling people out. He, he pointed to me, he said, you, you know, describe me. Of course, I'm looking behind. He said, no, you. And so he called me to come forward. Again, bearing in mind, nobody knew who I was. And uh, and this this guy, this man just started prophesying over me. And wow. it was so accurate. I burst out laughing. I was so shocked. I was like, how on earth do you know all of this about me? It was like God was speaking directly to me. It was extraordinary and started to prophesy leadership. Uh, all this was inside me. I hadn't told anybody this. Wow. Anyway, I, I, I found out that this person was Gerald Coates, who is the founder of the, the network. <laughs> <laughs> and then after he prophesied, I saw this man running towards me and um, I remember him just shaking my hand rigorously, you know, hello, hello, you must be Linda. And I, I think I was pinned up against a wall, you know, terrified. <laughs> I was shaking his hand and I said, you must be Patrick. And it was, this chap I'd spoken to on the phone. So basically the rest is history. So my personal journey was, I was connected to a pioneer church through an old school teacher, ended up being prophesied over by the, the founder of our network and and literally for me the rest was history then all of wow. our friends belonged to the church and they were amazing with us fully you know got hold of us discipled us invested into us i mean really amazing people amazing leaders um and friends so so then that opened the kind of doorway to well, what else is happening in this this network um and then yeah we all very much got involved in pioneer the late 1980s we church planted in 1991 which was in fact the year the first year richard and i got married um and pioneer launched our church plant there were only 26 of us but they sent a thousand people down to the local leisure center and we had an amazing kind of launch meeting and they wow. prayed for us so i think to have that support was really in incredible pioneer really got behind patrick who launched his aids charity asset aid care education and training which is still going you know at, you know full pelt today others are leading it but it's an international work um so i think in those kind of heady days it was a really exciting place to connect with with this this church family 
Um, then Richard and I, we were involved in, in an event called Interface, um, which was around Southwest London. At its peak, we were gathering about a thousand young people once a quarter. Um, we were involved in running that. So it was really very, very exciting. Um, great amount of resource and training um, and, and discipleship. And then Pioneer went through its own kind of struggles, late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. Um, and then when Billy picked up the leadership and very much with Billy and Caroline um, came in to pick up leadership at that time, you can just see going back over the decades, you know, how amazing it's been to see the input from different leaders. So Gerald, very much prophetic, very much on the edge. Um, so the, the network was born out of, you know, uh, tremendous sort of prophetic um, gifting. Yeah. For then Billy and Caroline to come in, who really brought a great strength around building yeah. and the apostolic, um, but really cared for leaders uh, and, and where the network at the time, it's like any organization, isn't it? Or business or charity or church, you would have seen the kind of the, the peaks and troughs. So, you know, the, the growth, um, but then it had to reinvent itself before it, you know, again, the sort of <laughs> peak up again. Um, so Billy and Caroline yeah. really invested wisely. Um, so that felt a very fruitful time. And then obviously, however many years now, four years ago, Billy handed on the UK leadership to Ness, who again has brought her own, you know, flavor, her own um, unique skills and gifting and calling yeah. for what the network needs at this time. And then Billy very much being released to the international. Um, and so, you know, I enjoy working with Ness in the UK, um, enjoy, um, you know, working with Billy with the international. Um, you can just see again, the, the benefits of the different generations and unique giftings and characteristics. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, I don't know if that's helpful, but um, so I might, that's a little bit about my own personal kind of that's introduction. A, yeah, that is, yeah, that's very <laughs> cool. Yeah, and you are right about that, you know, um, just reading about Gerald Coates and watching some of the different interviews about him and then, you know, um, just hearing about Pioneer and then Billy coming in and, you know, then, you know, like Billy said, hey, you know, we got a word about expanding into the U.S., um, yeah. and, and like three months later, I reach out mm -hmm. to him and I'm like, or I reached out to Pioneer. I'm like, Hey, we're from the U S we're interested in joining your network. And yeah. like, you know, a couple of days later, I get this email back. Like, yes, I'll, uh, I'm going to give you Billy. Billy's going to reach out to you. We had a, uh, zoom meeting with Billy for about half hour. He came out a month later and we were part of pioneer and i was just like you know we were the kind of on that tail end of the of that prophetic word that when it was spoken over over pioneer mm -hmm. and yeah yeah and that's the thing it's just like but you are right the uh with billy you know building um now him being international leader kind of you know going from all the different nations just mm -hmm. uh just encouraging you know having that kind of fatherly um, mantle on him just to, and he's not having to um, kind of have that fatherly mentality of he's just kind of showing his kids how to do it. 
and yep. not having to do it for them. He's just got in that mindset of guiding now and leading um, mm. instead of, or excuse me, guiding instead of leading and just yep. kind of giving us the, the insight who we need, giving us that word every now and then to encourage us. So that's really cool. But mm -hmm. so, yeah, that's very cool. So you've been around pioneer forever then. I mean, <laughs> from the early days, because yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think when it is start started in the what late seventies, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. I, I think pioneer officially, so it became an official entity. It'll be 40 years ago next year. Wow. Um, but it, it, we have people in our church who were around Pioneer before Pioneer officially existed. So you're right. It goes right back to, yeah. to those 70s. Um, and in Hold fact, on one second. Sorry. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> I just had a bee come in my room. <laughs> oh, you got to get rid of yeah. that. Yeah. I think I got it. <laughs> oh, nope. I did. Hold on. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> he landed on my foot and I'm like, oh. Scared me to death. I'm sorry. Whew. I saw him fly up in the corner, and all of a sudden, I just saw him drop, and I felt him on my foot, and I'm like, "Nope, that's got to get. I got to get this off." Whew. I don't like these. I don't like being stung. Oh, that's funny. That will definitely get edited out of the podcast on that one. So, oh, that's brilliant. Uh, so, oh yeah. So actually what I'm in right now is, and you can't really tell, it's only an eight by eight room. It's actually a little, my dad got a bunch of scrap lumber um, and created a little clubhouse for my girls. And okay. it just has a little upstairs room. And I think the screen may be out on the upstairs room because I have two bees kind of floating around in here. So I just turned it into a podcast studio um, since uh, my girls are, you know, one's married and one's getting in college now. So I've like, I just turned it into my podcast studio, but yeah, I, apparently there's some things I need to seal up because there's a couple bees in here and I'm like, uh Oh, I better uh, pay attention to what's going on. So, uh, oh, I'm, just so glad that, I'm just glad this wasn't a, a live streaming video or something like that. That would have been just the, the best. So. Uh, oh, that's brilliant, Matt. Uh, so, so, well, it's great so, you're doing this. It's really yeah, I, great. I, I love doing it because I, I, you know, like I told Billy, I said, I want to help out Pioneer the best I can with some of the skills I have. But I said, I'm also doing it for a selfish reason because I want to know about these people. And I want to, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm doing it for a little bit of a selfish reason too. I said, I want to know more about Pioneer. And I said, I can't really get immersed in Pioneer because either I'm not in the UK yeah. or I haven't been around long enough to know a lot of these yeah. people. So I'm getting to know people. And yeah. I'm just getting to talk to people about their experience there. Sorry, I'm just out of the corner of my eye. I'm just paying attention to if there's anything else coming after me. Um, I just want to know more about Pioneer and get to know the, the culture and the value of Pioneer. And when I get to have these conversations with people or go to different meetups, I just get it gets me more immersed so I can help um, become uh, someone who can help bring people into Pioneer when when they have questions about it too. That's really good. Really good. So really good. Yeah. Invaluable. But yeah. So thank you so much for joining me. I think I really appreciate you just spending a couple minutes here and talking with me about this. It really, it really helps me out. And it, I think it'll be a good episode for um, just people to get to know you because, you know, I, I think a lot of people know you, but they don't really 
you know you. And so just to hear a little bit about you, your background, your experiences, I think we'll just, we'll, we'll help build on that. That's great. Thank you so much, Matt. Yeah, well, I really no problem. Appreciate you taking the time to do this and invite me on. Say so thank you very, very much. Yeah, it was good to have you. And uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. I enjoy it. Not every time when I have an interview do I swap bees out of the out of the, <laughs> the air and stuff like that. So, <laughs> oh, that's so, so good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that that will be a that will be a fun. Uh, maybe I'll just put together a blooper reel at the end of the year and just put all the that's the random great. stuff that. Yeah, that'd uh, be great. For me. A lot of them are me just doing like me sitting in front of the camera trying to do an intro and just can't get the words out of my yes. mouth. I'm just like, Matt, you're stupid. Why are you so stupid? And, you know, just, <laughs> and I'm just, I'm, I can't, I'm like, I'll be like, uh, blah, and I'll try to say, it. I'm like, I got six words to say, but I can't get them out of my mouth. I'm like, Matt, why are you just, why are you the way you are? You know, just like, so it's just, it's a lot of fun, but yeah. Oh, so my brilliant. wife, Sarah was standing in here one time when I was doing it. She's like, how can you not get six words out of your mouth? I said, I don't know. I can't figure it out right now. I said, apparently the camera makes me stupid and I just get, become a bumbling idiot. So I was just like, yeah, it is what it is at this point. <laughs>